this is a special time to honor graduating seniors. And uh, we all know that these effort taking place for 12 years and how it meant for many ups and downs throughout their time. But we want to honor our seniors this morning in some special ways. So first of all, like Alex Graham to come forward and we have a something to present her. And for Cedric Perez, Julia Torres, Caitlin Robinson, Ryan Hawkins, Sarah Hawkins. I'd like to encourage you to read your Bible. And since you have a new Bible, I'd like for you, if you do underline anything in your Bible, consider underlining Luke chapter 2, verse 52. We all are raised to want to be like Christ. And in that one verse, we find out characteristics of Jesus that we find out nowhere else in the Bible. A simple statement, and it says this, And Jesus grew in wisdom, in stature, in favor with God and man. Let's back up and see what this does. And Jesus grew mentally. He grew physically. He grew spiritually. And he grew socially. These are goals that we can set any time in our life. But as you're beginning a new strata in your life, remember these four areas and how much influence you can have on others as you practice them and as you grow mentally, physically, spiritually, and socially. God bless. I think we need to pray for these young people as they begin this new time in their lives. So if you'd bow your heads with me, we'll have a prayer for them. Our Most Holy Father, we come to you this morning and we come with hearts that are thankful for the provision that you've made for these young people, that you've uh, provided them guidance and teachers and, and parents and, and all the things they needed to grow to this point in their lives. Father, we're in awe of how much you care for us and how that each uh, one of us means something to you. And these young people this morning are, are as significant as any other. Father, we want to ask that you would... Uh, Bless them as they begin this new uh, stage in their life. Father, as they begin to uh, grow even uh, greater than they have become so far, we just ask that you might uh, just guide their, their lives and just be with them. Father, we just ask that you would keep them close to you and that their uh, lives might exemplify what you desire of them. Father, it's... Uh, a uh, special time when you uh, begin uh, each phase of your life and as they begin this one we just ask that you would nurture them and, and just bless them and continue to look over them these things we pray in jesus name amen i don't know about you guys but i don't think i was ever that young and handsome 
I don't think it ever happened. Um, today's a big day, and maybe surprisingly, um, I'm going to talk to you about small things. Um, I want to tell you a story of a young man. His country has been conquered. His enemies have surrounded him. And this particular young man is threshing wheat in a wine press. You see, because these weren't just any invaders. These were the Midianites. They came in as a marauding force. They used hundreds and thousands of camels. They occupied the land, demanding tribute from the people. They raped and they pillaged. And the reason that this young man is threshing wheat in a wine press is to hide the foods was to hide the food that otherwise the Midianites would come in to steal. And so this young man is of no importance. He's the youngest in a family of nobodies. And then an angel of the Lord appears and says the most peculiar thing. He says, mighty warrior. And this young man ends up defeating the Midianite army that when we find him, he's hiding from with a few hundred men, some trumpets, some torches, and some glass jars. As we read this story, we see a God that calls the average, ordinary nobody. And through God's power, this average man can perform incredible deeds. But Gideon's not the only one. Moses was a stutterer and a murderer hiding in the desert. David was just a shepherd boy. And the disciples astonished the priests and the leaders of the temple with how they could stand up and defend their faith. And yet these same priests and leaders of the temple took note that these were ordinary, unschooled men. This overall storyline is compelling. We find it outside the Bible, in literature, and in film. There was a movie that was called The Sword in the Stone that I watched when I was just a child. And this movie is about an awkward young orphan that's in training to be a, a squire. And the premise of the movie is that there is this special sword, Excalibur. And it's placed in this stone, and only the one true king is worthy to remove the sword. To take his place is the first man in all of the kingdom. And so all the brave, strong, handsome knights approached the stone, and all fell. Regardless of their might or their purity of heart, nobody is deemed worthy to remove the sword from the stone and to take their rightful place as the king. Then this young orphan, a nobody, someone training not to be a knight, but someone training to be a squire, haphazardly and nearly accidentally pulls the sword out of the stone. Later on in the 90s, they remade this film with basically the same plot, but instead of a squire, it's kind of a, it's kind of a computer nerd, but it was called The Matrix. And it's this hacker that's working in this cubicle, and somebody comes to him and said, you're the chosen one, and you're going to free all of mankind. And so the premise of, of all these stories is the narrative hook. It's that out-of-nowhere chance meeting that changes everything. It's the burning bush. It's the visit in the night. It's the young squire accidentally pulling the sword out of the stone. It's this seemingly average person being chosen to do some big important task. We love these stories because most of us can relate. We see our, ourselves kind of like this cat does. Um, we know what we are deep down, but we have this fire that burns. 
We know that we are more than what people see from the, from the outside. We want to be called. We want to have a purpose. We want to be given this grand task. Now, when I was just a little boy, I was around nine, my parents that are actually here took me to go watch the Rangers play. And they were playing the Blue Jays. And I remember walking into the stadium. It was the old one. It's not the nice one that they have now. But I didn't care. And I saw that green grass. And I saw the players as they were warming up. And I was drawn like a tractor beam to the pitchers. But it wasn't to watch the pitchers. Although Charlie Huff was warming up and to watch that knuckleball was kind of cool. It was to watch the catchers. Because I was a catcher. And in my nine-year-old mind, I thought, what if that catcher down there gets hurt? I could volunteer, nine years old, I'd jump down there, I would ask to borrow the glove, and then I would get down to my stance, and I'd be like, throw the ball. And I assumed that there would be like, no, you're only nine, you can't be a catcher for the Rangers. But in my brain, I was like, I'd give them the ace, I'd give them the one, I'd say, throw the heater. And in my nine-year-old mind, like, this was going to happen. You see, because I wanted to be that nine-year-old kid that wasn't that athletic, that was nothing special, but had that moment that I could step into the limelight and do something and have everybody say, wow, I was tired of being overlooked. Well, the Rangers went on and won the game, and nobody got hurt. Um, and I had to settle for playing softball in college on an intramural team. Um, and so Jesus gives this teaching in Matthew 25. And he describes how it will be when the Son of Man comes in his glory. When all the angels are gathered there, and all the nations are gathered before him. And what is interesting about this teaching is this. Jesus describes the biggest event the world will ever know when the rightful Lord and King returns for judgment and everyone that has ever lived in every nation across time and space is going to be gathered in one place. And you would think that they would talk about big things like world wars. Or maybe they might talk about big Ideas like the nature of the cosmos and time and space and physics. Or maybe they would talk about great and heroic deeds. But they never talk about soldiers that are charging to take a hill or firemen carrying a baby out of a burning building. They, in fact, they don't talk about anything incredible at all. There's no burning bushes. There's no magical swords that are stuck in stones. There's no nine-year-old boys playing catcher for the rangers. There's none of that. The only life events that they discuss are actually pretty boring. Out of all the nations of ordinary people, he starts sorting them as a shepherd sorts out sheep and goats. Anything else? You know that. Let Don't me you give know you that? a hypothetical. Really? Oh. A guy breaks into the apartment. Oh, breaks into the He's got a gun. He holds it to my head. He says, either I blow your wife's brains out or I blow up the sun building. Choose now. What do you say? What do you think I say? What, what do you think? It's ridiculous. It's not going to happen. That is exactly my point, Henry. It is never one big dramatic choice. It is little, vague situations every single day, and you're either there or you're not. You keep waiting for the guy with the gun to show up, and it's going to be too late. I will be there. I promise. Henry, nine o'clock. Let's go. You know, I mean, after tonight, huh? I got. I will be there. I promise. After tonight, what if our big moment never comes? We're all desperate for meaning. We all want to matter. We all want that sword in the stone 
kind of moment when we're chosen and we're the one. We want to draw the line in the sand. We want to topple kingdoms. We want to slay dragons and save the princess. But we don't have time for small things right now. We'll do those tomorrow. And so Jesus says that this king sorts out all the people and all the nations into two groups. And he turns to the sheep on on his right and says this. He says, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And you all know the story. These people that are on his right say, Lord, when did we do these things? We never had that moment. We never had that time that we encountered the living God. I mean, Paul was struck blind when he meets Jesus. Um, Moses glowed for days after he had this encounter with, with God. The prophet saw these fantastic visions of of wings and wills and, and beast and eyes. But these people say, we never saw you. When did we serve you? And then this king says, whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me. Little things, they add up. What if a slow, steady water drip carves out a bigger path through rock than does one big flood? We all say that we want to help and do for the least of these. We all have good, um, we have intentions of doing the small things right. We want to read our Bible. We want to say our prayer. We want to be more faithful in church. And then we get busy. We have obligations. We get tired. We have a test to study for. We We have to take the kids to practice and we have to do the shopping. And so then the king turns to those on the left, the goats, and he says this. He says, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. And their comments mirror the first group. They say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and thirsty and naked and sick and in prison? Church, this teaching is about feeding, clothing, and caring for the least of these. But I think that it is also about being faithful in our actions on the seemingly small things of life. And I can't help but to think about Daniel and his friends. You see, they were God's chosen nation. And then the Babylonians come in, and they conquer them, and they carry off all the handsome, educated, uh, noble, young Men And then they indoctrinate them in the language and the literature and the culture of Babylon. And it says in Daniel 1 that Daniel resolved not to defile himself. And he, and he asked the chief um, official permission not to defile himself in this way. You see, Daniel was making a stand over food. He said that he wouldn't eat the food that was from the king's table, likely because it, it wasn't kosher. But he was super polite, and he was reasonable. And my preaching is either really good or really bad, because that's never happened to me. Um, But look at what Daniel says. He says, please test your servant for ten days. Look at the flexibility of Daniel's thinking. You see, Daniel's willing to be faithful in the small things, and so he takes his big stand against a world empire 
And his big stand is about what food that he will and won't eat. But what does he do about it after he makes this stand? You know, he resolved that he was going to be faithful in the little things. He asks permission. He says, please. He's reasonable. And he offers up a compromise. It's the little things. These are things that all of us can do to be faithful in the little things. It doesn't take a miracle. It doesn't take a riot. It takes walking through these steps. Lawrence D. Bell, the founder of Bell, the company that uh, built the X-1, the first plane to go faster than the speed of, of, of sound, says this. He says, show me a man who cannot bother to do the little things, and I'll show you a man who cannot be trusted to do big things. You see, Daniel bothered to do the small things, and so he was trusted with much, much more. In 1998, NASA sent up the Mars Climate Orbiter. Uh, it was sent up to Mars to uh, explore the uh, climate and atmosphere of, of Mars. And a few months after they launched it, they lost contact. The reason? They failed to convert some of the measurements in the software from standard to metric. A simple task that they teach you in high school. Okay, A task that anybody in the building could have done. But they didn't do this one little thing. And so as the orbiter came into the atmosphere of Mars, the speed, the angle, the place, and the timing were all off. And as a result, $125 million burned up before they could complete a single task of the mission. They failed to do the little things. Tony Plogg is one of the world's best trumpet players. He's a composer, he's a writer, and he's a teacher. And recently, some academics from Princeton came down to watch a clinic that Tony put on for, for young and upcoming soloists. And so these artists came in and they played masterpieces. These were virtuoso pieces that these young soloists came in and played. And the academics write that Tony politely listened to every piece. He noted the difficulty of the piece after they completed it. He complimented the soloist on things that they did well. He gave them some pointers on some things that they could do better. And then he handed them another piece of music. And nervously, these young students looked down at this sheet of music, thinking that it was going to be something very difficult. And they were relieved to see that it basically was a warm-up piece. And then Tony asked each of the soloists to play this piece. And they could do so with childish ease. Then the master, for the very first time in the clinic, picked up his instrument. And he played the same simple piece. But it didn't sound like the students did. Here's the way that they describe it in their book. It says, he played the same phrase, but when he played it, it was not childish. It was exquisite. Each note was a rich, delightful sound. He gave the small phrase a delicate shape, revealing a flowing sense of, of dynamics that enables us to hear meaning in those simple notes. Tony went on to explain that when you master an efficient, nuanced performance of simple pieces, that that allows one to play with great grace and beauty, pieces that are more challenging. To become good at great things, become great at good things. Do the little things matter? Class of 2014, you're going off into the world. Things like keeping your appointments, returning phone calls, Meeting deadlines and saying thank you are crucial steps and loftier, more important goals. 
Let your yes be yes. Be the one person that keeps your word in both large and small affairs. Thank your professor for extra help. Even better yet, at the end of the class, after you take the final, go up to him and say, thank you for teaching me. Show up early for work. Offer to do more than what is asked. Notice the person that's having a rough day and buy them a cup of coffee and lend your ear. These little things matter. They build up. Jesus says this. He says that whoever can be trusted with little can be trusted with much. Jamie and I had been here about a year. And I don't know that Becky Kester and I had ever had a conversation for longer than a minute or two. And this conversation probably didn't last much more than a minute. Maybe 90 seconds. But it was right out here in this foyer. And she said, can Alexis join the youth group this year? And I said, yeah. You know, she's going to be in the seventh grade. She's in. And she said, I just want you to know that Alexis is going to be there. Whatever you're doing, she's going to be there. And if you need my help, I'm going to be there. And I was like, wow, what a stand. It took 60 seconds. Now, Becky might have come up with that on her own, but her parents are here. And I think they might have taught her that. And, and I don't know who taught them that. But look at how that, how that one idea of faithfulness, of participating in that, in that community of faith, Look at how bright that that light shines down the generations. It's a big deal. It matters. Alexis has blessed me and blessed our youth group more than what I've blessed her. Little things. Don't wait for that sword in the stone moment. When you can bring about world peace and end hunger. Because it's likely not going to happen. And so do the small things well and with great love. This is what Paul says. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all the mysteries and knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I have nothing. If I give all that I possess to the poor and give over my body to to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. In 1945 through 46, Picasso decided that he wanted to paint a picture of a bull. And like all good artists, he didn't just sit down and draw a bull, but he began to contemplate what are the features that make a bull. And so he began sketching and doodling. And today we have a series of 18 of these drawings of a bull. And it's a powerful series, as you can see. Um, But guess which one of these is the culmination of of Picasso's work. Guess which one did, uh, after he got finished, said, this is the bull. It's this one. To paint his ideal bull, the painting that would communicate and, and capture the expression of a bull, he stripped away the facade. He did away with the busyness. He cut, he whittled, discarded, until he came up with this. Twelve marks that simply and powerfully represent a bull. No unnecessary detail, no obsessing over the shading and fine points. He's not trying to replicate a bull's fur, just a few lines to express the power and the masculinity of a bull. Now, class of 2014, I urge you to take an artist's view of life. Study life as Picasso did. Take in the details, then whittle, cut, and edit away until you get to the bare bones. The few lines and the curves that matter. And then hold on to those few lines because they matter. 
I hope for you that those few lines form the cross of Christ. And that anything that obscures that one thing needs to be placed on that cross and crucified. Stephen Covey tells a story. Tells a story of a businessman that goes into a class of students. And he has this this illustration. He brings out a, a glass jar, one gallon size. And he fills it with large stones. And then he asks the class, he says, is it full? And they say, yeah, it's full. He said, you sure? And then he takes out some gravel and pours it in. He says, is it full now? And they're starting to catch on. They're like, mm, maybe not. He says, you're right. He takes some sand out and pours the sand in. And the sand begins to filter into the cracks. He says, is it full now? And they're like, it's getting pretty full. He takes out a pitcher of water. And begins filling it up. And he says, what's the point of this? And somebody says, well, that you can always do one more thing. No matter how full your schedule is, no matter how big your workload is, you can always do one more thing. And the businessman says, no. The point of this is this only works if you put in the big rocks first. And like Picasso's bull, I would encourage you to whittle life down to what truly matters. And do that first. We can't wait for the big moment. Class of 2014, today we are going to send you away with a jar. And your parents have been helping you with this jar for 18 years. Today the jar is yours. You get to choose. It's such a minor detail. It's so small. It seems like it won't matter. There's no burning bush that's going to tell you every morning which to put in first. There's no sword in the stone kind of moment. But what you choose to put in in your jar, it matters. And what you choose to put in your jar first and second and third and what you choose to leave out changes everything. I don't know if you'll ever speak to a burning bush. I don't know if you'll be the squire that pulls the sword out of the stone and stuns the world. But I do know this. You have a jar and you have a life. And you're going to fill that jar with something. I hope you fill it with Jesus first. I hope you actively pursue a community of faith. I hope you have friends that pray with you and for you. I hope you love the church as much as Christ does. And you're faithful not just in showing up, but in serving and in doing. I hope you pursue a career that creates value in the world. I hope you marry a Christian that will help you with your walk in Christ. But do you know what gets in the way of these important goals? Sand. It's the little things in life. It's tempting to sprinkle in sand now And then to hold off on on, on these big rocks, the things that matter. And then before long, you filled your jar up with things that are trivial and things that perish. But it all starts with doing the small things well. I leave you with one more quote. I think. Yeah, there it is. We must not think that our love has to be extraordinary. But we do need to love without getting tired. How does a lamp burn? through the continuous input of small drops of oil. These drops are are the small things of daily life, of faithfulness, small words of kindness, a thought for others, our way of being quiet, of looking, of speaking, and of acting. They are the true drops of love that keep our lives and relationships burning like a lively flame. Church, today, maybe your jar is full of sand. And maybe that you've been waiting for that moment for years saying, you know what, I'm tired of this. I want something important. Jesus calls you. He says, 
we can empty that out and we can start over. We can start putting those rocks in first. Or maybe you feel like your jar is empty and say, I feel like I'm nothing. I feel like I've got nothing. I felt like I came from nowhere and I'm going nowhere. Jesus calls. He's here. He'll give you meaning. He'll give you purpose. He'll give you life. And to our seniors that are going off, put those rocks in there. Start with Jesus. Put him in first. And then everything else should go in around that. But he is the rock. He is the salvation. He is the cornerstone. He is, if he is Lord at all, he is Lord of all. He gets all of us. Put your family in there. You guys have wonderful parents. You've been blessed. You have parents that love you. You have parents that care for you. You have a church that loves you. And if you're going off to college or staying here for the JC before you go off, know that you always have a church that loves you, that we're always here. If you need something, call. Because doing life alone, God never meant for us to do that. It's why he gave you a family. It's why he gave you a church. Our God is good. If you have needs of the church, come as we stand and sing.